Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine here, and this week we are sitting with Jocelyn Saylor, who is an LCSW in the states of Connecticut and Massachusetts. We are talking about school social work. We love it. It is such a hot area for, especially for new and beginning social workers to definitely check out. I mean, you can't beat the schedule. Summer's off and Christmas off. Yes, please. (laughs) Except children are not my specialty or my niche. So um, if that is for you, then definitely tune into this episode, crank up the volume and get your notes ready. I wanted to just give a brief overview of school social work. If you're not completely familiar, um, they, school social workers are going to be the ones to provide social services and assistance to really enhance and improve the social and psychological functioning of children and families within the school districts. So I looked up some stats on at the Bureau of Labor, I can never say it, Bureau of Labor and Statistics. And this is what I found out. One, they group school social workers with children and family social workers. So a CPS, which I was like, oh, Okay, I think that school social workers deserve a category of their own. And same thing with CPS workers. You all deserve a category of your own. But here we are. So I did my best to pick out the ones specific to school social work. So basically, if you're going to be working in a school, you're going to be helping families with situations involving teen pregnancy, misbehavior, truancy, or I like to reframe those as trauma responses and um, basically trauma responses. So also too, you're going to be advising teachers because teachers, unfortunately, are also not well-trained on trauma trauma responses, Um, but you know, we're working there. So We definitely have a lot of work to do within the schools, just helping the kiddos make it through school safely without being re-traumatized. It is, it is quite the task. So I'm grateful for people like Jocelyn who are here to help us with that and to help our kiddos in the schools. So according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, I'm going to call them the BLS from now on because I can't say their name. (laughs) Um, Employment of school social workers is on the rise. So it is increasing across the country. If you are looking into this field, you can expect an annual median salary of 65,000 per year, 
which breaks down to about $31.29 per hour. So that is like the annual across the nation. Keep that in mind because if you're working in some of the states or these cities with the highest rates of employed school social workers, then you may need to do more digging and research into your specific area. You can, I like going to glassstore.com to look up specific salaries for my area, but the city specifically with the highest employment of school and children and family social workers is going to be one, New York City, two, Los Angeles, followed by three, Chicago, and fourth is Philly, had to mention Philly, put that in there. So they're going to be the ones who are hiring or have jobs with the most school social workers. So the other thing that I absolutely love about Jocelyn is that she's a leader in her industry. So what I mean by that is she saw that there was a need. So she needed to be well organized and she needed additional resources at her fingertips. And she was using a therapist planner, but she noticed that there was things missing, that there was really more that she needed in this planner. So she took it upon herself to develop the school social work solutions planner, which this thing, this thing looks hot, you guys. I mean, I've seen it on Instagram and it looks really, really good. Even if you're not a school social worker, you can still benefit from some of the resources and the templates and the self-care templates that she has in there. She has a handful left as of, it is the end of October as we're recording this, October, 2021. So definitely go to the show notes, tap the link in the show notes and order your planner. Okay. Especially if you're a school social worker, get this planner. (laughs) So without further ado, Let's hear from Jocelyn herself about her experiences as a school social worker. She's going to give you an overview on how she got there. What is her background like? What is a typical day as a school social worker like? What is the most challenging and rewarding part of her jobs? She definitely drops some gems and gives you some background insight into her work as a school social worker. So let's get into it. This episode is proudly brought to you by the RISE Directory, a national directory of clinical supervisors who are dedicated to helping the next generation of clinical social workers grow in their clinical skills. The link is in the show notes. Check it out and tell every clinical supervisor you know about this directory. Hi, Jocelyn. Hi. Hello. Welcome to the Social Workers Rise podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today talking about school social work. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Me too. School social work is a hot topic. People love to hear about it and they love to get into it. So I'm excited to to hear your experience 
Can you first give us a brief overview of your career background? Like, how did you get to here to where you're a school social worker? Sure. So I got my bachelor's degree from the University of Massachusetts Amherst. And right after that, I went to work in my former high school working for a nonprofit organization called Gear Up. And through the program, we help seniors. Um, we brought them on college trips. We helped them fill out the FAFSA, um, helped them throughout the whole college application process. And while I was working there, I thought, I really like working with kids. Maybe I want to be a guidance counselor. And then I was like, hmm, I don't know. Maybe I want to look into something else. And I looked into social work. And with social work, that master's degree is really flexible, as I'm sure you know. Um, you can work in different sectors. You know, you can work in probation, medical social work, school social work, private practice. You know, the options are pretty much endless with an MSW. And school social work was a goal of mine to work in a school, um, giving back to the students. So I then went on to get my master's at Springfield College. And during that time, I started working full time as a Department of Children and Family Social Worker, Child Protective Services. So I did that simultaneously while getting my MSW. I got a lot of experience there. Um, and then about four and a half years after that, I started into medical social work. And I didn't love that as much. It was like a geriatric population. And I just, I miss working with the kids. So that mm -hmm. was only about a year I worked in medical social work and then I applied to be a school social worker. And here I am nine years later. That's awesome. Did you have to have any kind of special certificate to do that? So in my state, you have to have, it's called a 071 certification. It's a school social work certification. So we had to take a part of the teacher's test, which in Connecticut is called the Praxis. So I had to take the math and English and pass that in order to get my certification, which really doesn't make sense because we're not teaching the kids math or English, but whatever, <laughs> those right. were the requirements <laughs> um, to sit for the test. So I did that. Um, I passed that test. I got my um, certification and I also have my LCSW, but it's not required in my state, but I know in others it is like in Texas. Right. Yeah. And here in California, you need to have the PPS credential, which mm -hmm. don't ask me about that. I have no idea, but I just know you have to have it. Um, so it's interesting that each state is going to be a little bit different. Yes. Yeah. So we, I did a poll of my Instagram stories about what do you want to ask a school social worker? And Jocelyn, you got so many responses we had. <laughs> I don't know, like 20 questions come through. We're not going to wow. be able to answer them all today. Um, but Miguel and Evelyn, they want to know, what is a typical day like as a school social worker? So the days really vary, but I do have a schedule. So when I go in to the school, I usually come in, I'll have my coffee or my tea, sit down and check my emails. And then I'll look at my schedule for the day. So I have a weekly schedule of when I want to see individual students, run groups. But sometimes that schedule gets thrown out the window if there's a crisis or, you know, different situations happen with students and you have to kind of um, attain to, attend to the emergency at the moment. So, for example, today 
I had one idea of what my day was going to look like. And it was something totally different because I had to do a Title IX investigation, which is uh, an investigation around sexual harassment or sexual misconduct. So Mm. me and the social work team had to do that because that took priority. It had, you know, there was a video involved and students and there's all these different parts. So we had to focus on that today versus me seeing my individual students or running any group. So it really does vary. But for the most part, I try to stick to my schedule, even when there are different crises that happen. Okay. So you're meeting privately with students and you're also running groups. What kind of groups are those? Like, what do you talk about? Um, So mainly girls groups. So I have one that is with 10th graders and one that is with seniors. And we talk about different things around self-care, around identity, self-esteem, healthy relationships, uh, analyzing music, making vision boards, talking about goals. So it really just varies. And I kind of go with where the girls are. Um, If there's different situations happening with their intimate relationships, you know, their boyfriends or their girlfriends, then we'll talk about that, what healthy relationships look like versus toxic relationships and how to communicate healthy with your partner. Um, So those are some of my favorite groups to run with teen girls. Um, And that's all I have really going on right now. Um, I've done different groups in the past for grief and loss, for children who've lost a parent or maybe they're incarcerated, um, the zones of regulation, that curriculum, um, which teaches children how to regulate their emotions, um, elementary school age, and children on the autism spectrum. But really the curriculum is good for all children. Um, I've run that as well. But right now it's just the girls group. Wow, that's a lot. That's yeah, a I lot mean, that you gotta be that yeah, you have yeah, to know it about. <laughs> it is a lot. Yeah, that's yeah, that's awesome. It sounds very needed and God bless you because I could not I just it's not my calling to work with with children. I love them, but yeah, not for me. <laughs> well, the groups that I just named, I never ran all of those simultaneously. It was like one right. at different points in time because that would be a lot of work doing all those at once. <laughs> oh yeah, you'd be a full-time group facilitator. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh so Jess is wondering, what is the most challenging part of school social work? I would say the high caseload is the most challenging part. And when I say high caseload, it's not even necessarily that the numbers are high. So right now, my caseload is about, well, it's 35 students. But these 35 students each have complex trauma. Um, They're dealing with different situations. They have different needs. So it takes a long time to really do a good job therapeutically with them, connecting them to services, making sure um, that the parents' needs are met so they can support their children. Um, It's a lot. So that's the most challenging part. I could spend like an hour and a half on one student to do a really, really good job, but there's not enough time in the day to spend that much time with each student individually. Mm, how much time do you typically get with each student and how often are you seeing them? So typically it's about, you know, 30 minutes, 30 to 40 minutes. And um, with groups, it's much better because maybe you'll hold the group for 45 minutes, but you'll have like eight, maybe 10 students in there. So you're um, meeting more needs at one time. 
Okay. So that makes sense. And then do you see them on a regular basis and mm-hmm. like on a weekly basis or monthly? How does that work? Yes. Most students are on a weekly basis. Um, but you know, if they're absent, then obviously we're not going to meet, but overall it's usually a weekly basis, sometimes bi-weekly, but mm-hmm. we really try to meet with all those students every week. Okay. That's great. Is that for the whole school year or just as long as they need you? How do you decide how long or how many weeks? So it all depends on the classification of the student. So some students have a special education plan where in their IEP, it will say they need to meet with the social worker for counseling 30 to 60 minutes a week. And that's going to be for the duration of the IEP, which is one year. And then every year you meet with the team of individuals who work with the student to determine should you continue the services or stop them or pull back or increase. Um, If a student has a 504 plan, it might have counseling written into that, which is a medical accommodation plan for students who have any kind of medical diagnosis that may prohibit them from accessing their education at 100%. So that could be ADHD. It could be sickle cell anemia, it could be scoliosis, and there's going to be different accommodations in that plan that are going to support the student to be more successful. And it also tells you how often you need to work with the student in the plan. So that's how those students, um, their time is determined. It's by whatever plan they have. But then you have regular education students who don't have a legal plan, but they have needs. So you're still going to work with them as often as you possibly can. But the priority is going to be your special education and your 504 students because they have legal plans that state you have to do this work with them. Ah, I see. I see. Okay. Awesome. Um, What would you consider to be the most rewarding or best part about your job? I would say seeing the growth of the students throughout the years. Um, I've been lucky to be at the same school for you know, at least three years at a time. And you're able to see students, you know, grow throughout the years, socially, emotionally, academically, um, making connections with their families. And I will say my favorite part is those moments when you'll get like a thank you note or a letter from a student and they're showing their gratitude and their appreciation for your support. I have a box where I keep those. So I have letters and notes and pictures and cards from students, families, and coworkers from when I first started nine years ago. And sometimes I'll look back at that and it reminds me, you know, this is why I do this work. Oh, I love that. It's like a feel good box. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. So Yvette was wondering, how do you show up authentically in your work? So um, authenticity really means you have to know who you are. Um, You have to know what your values are, who your identity is. Um, And if you are really in tune with who you are, I think it's really easy to show up authentically. So I'm just going to use myself as an example. So I am, um, I'm a Black woman. I like to help others. Family is important to me. So in my office, I have different paintings that I've done from paint nights, and some of them are very Afrocentric. Um, I have pictures of my family members in my office. I have plants. I have different things that represent me so that when students and coworkers come in my office, they get a feel for who I am. And it's also a way to be vulnerable as well. 
So that's one example of how I show up authentically. Um, yeah, that's one example. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And it just helps to just build that rapport so much faster with other people because they're able, you're able to do a little bit of self-disclosure of what you're comfortable with and it opens up the door for them to, you know, ask questions or say, oh, I really like that. You know, where'd you get it type thing. So that's awesome. And another thing that I was worrying or not worrying, wondering about your workflow is, are you at one school or are you visiting different schools throughout the week? I'm at one school. I've always, any job placement I've had in school social work, I've only been one school. I know there are people who split schools or have multiple schools, but I feel like I'm lucky in the sense that I haven't had to go to different schools because I think that'd be really challenging. Yeah, one of my, I know one of the social workers here in LA, she covers five, four or five different schools. So each day, yeah, each day she's going to a different school. It just sounds really stressful. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of driving around. Yeah. Yeah. too. A lot of driving. So it is good to know, you know, in case someone is looking for a school social work job or, you know, looking to interview that, to ask that question. (laughs) Yes. Yep. Multiple schools or one school. Definitely. Um, What other tips? So Sarah Hoops and Evelyn Alvarez were wondering, what other tips do you have for someone wanting to get into school social work or looking to make that transition maybe from one part of, of social work, one industry into school social work? Okay. Um, I would say to one, research the type of school you want to work in. Uh, What type of population do you want to work in? Do you want to work in a suburban population, um, an inner city population? Um, Even, you know, do you want to work with children that reflect your ethnicity? Um, You want to first figure that out. Where? Then, Uh, When you apply to schools or maybe you're offered a job, I would say the first thing you want to brush up on is your crisis intervention skills because crises happen all the time. But in addition to that, you want to know all of the kind of legal policies and procedures. And when I say legal, I'm talking about your special education, your 504 plans, the bullying laws, the harassment laws, because especially in the high schools, Um, You're doing a lot of investigations around bullying, around sexting, um, relationships, alleged relationships with people that one might be 18 and then one is 14. So that's statutory rape laws. So you have to really know all of those policies because you're going to be applying them in your work. And you never want to get caught up where you didn't do something legally as a school social worker and then you're in court and your license is on the line. And, you know, your, your job is at risk. So I would say that would be one of the main things you want to start with. Um, you want to have great de-escalation skills because you're going to be dealing with children and adolescents who have heightened emotions. They may be yelling, screaming, tearing up classrooms, and you're going to have to know how to de-escalate them and isolate them from the other children so they're not at risk as well. Um, what else? Advocacy skills. You want to make sure you have great advocacy skills and you know how to use your voice for the voiceless. 
So I know in my experience, I'm working in the inner city. So there are a lot of parents who've had negative experiences with the educational system. And when we're in meetings, they're really on the defense. They may not be understanding 100% what's going on in the meeting, but they don't want to ask questions because they're embarrassed. And you have to be able to ask those questions so that the parents that you're working with understand exactly what's going on with the school and their child. So that's what I mean when I say advocacy. And those would be, um, you know, some tips to start off if you're thinking about getting into school social work. Awesome. Definitely super helpful to know all of those skills. Um, And thank you for sharing that. That provides a lot of really great insight and helps people to kind of understand, you know, where to even start. Mm -hmm. No problem. Would you, what do you think about, you know, Karen from Instagram was wondering, can a macro social worker become a school social worker or is it, you know, more clinical? So I would say that there are clinical aspects to school social work when you think about like evidence-based and research-based interventions that you're going to use with your student population. But I do think a macro social work student or a macro social worker could be a school social worker, um, especially because I personally think you want to have the micro experience before you can make a change on a macro level. So if you're a macro social worker, that's what, you know, your goal is. Maybe you want to start off as a school social worker for a few years so you can understand the needs and the deficits in the system overall. And then maybe eventually you go into like educational policy and you advocate for different changes. So I think in that aspect, yes, you could go into school social work as a macro social worker. Yeah, that makes sense to to kind of start as a clinical social worker first, because then you you can kind of see, you know, what would what would be the typical responses to a situation? You know, how would the parents respond to this? Mm-hmm. Then you can plan on a policy level. Okay, parents are going to be really upset about this. How can we how can we make it to where they're they understand or they're less upset or we can communicate better Mm -hmm. so there's no confusion and that's how you're going to take the clinical skills and turn them into something that's macro Mm -hmm. exactly and also too I've learned that the clinical skills have been really helpful on a macro level because systems are just made up of people And you have to know, yeah, you have to know how to relate to people, how to talk to people. And once you can do that and form those relationships with key people or strategic people, that's when the magic really happens. Yes, I agree with that 100%. The other question that I wanted to ask that I'm really excited to hear your response to is you came up with the School Social Work Solutions Planner. Tell me about this. What inspired it? How is it different? Tell me. So the School Social Work Solutions Planner is my second baby. So I I already have a daughter. So that's why I call it my second baby. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so I would say I think the pandemic really sparked more creativity in me because I was, you know, sitting home more often, (laughs) not doing as much. And um, I've always been a person that used the planner. 
And I just kind of had this idea utilizing, um, I had the therapist planner. Have you ever heard of it? No, I haven't. Okay. It's a, ther- it's a planner that's specific for therapists and it has um, different mental health therapist resources in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had been using that for a couple of years, but as I was utilizing the planner during the pandemic, I was thinking, wow, I wish this had a place for a daily log or phone call logs or um, kind of like an address book area so I could have parent contacts or um, different therapists or workers who are working with my students. Um, I wish it had a place where I could look for resources, um, references, just different things. So I was like, hmm, a school social worker planner. So then I Googled it. I'm like, oh, there's nothing out there like this. Maybe I can create a school social worker planner. So, you know, kind of from there, I just did a lot of research and took some time and invested in myself and figured out how to create a planner and put all these different resources together. And kind of here we are. (laughs) That's amazing. So full disclosure, I have, I love planners also, and I have been dreaming about creating a planner and I started it, but oh my gosh, Jocelyn, it was so much yeah, it's like, a lot. So much work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot of work. <laughs> so everything from the formatting to getting the resources together to yeah. the colors and how big it is and the binding and the paper. And I was like, oh my yes. gosh, I can't. <laughs> it's so detailed. <laughs> so let me tell you, every single dollar <laughs> that people spend <laughs> on that social work planner is worth it. Because there was a lot of hard work and a lot of love, I can tell, put into that planner. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing about it was, even although I was using my creativity, I'm also able to help others. Because when I first started off as a school social worker, I feel like I was doing all this research, creating all these different templates, looking at all these different books, trying to really figure it all out. And I wanted to put resources together that would help someone who is just getting into the school social work field, um, can reference different things, um, you know, just kind of a one-stop shop in one planner. And it also has a self-care aspect. So the other thing is my first year being a school social worker, I really felt burnt out by the end of the year. And it was because I had a lack of boundaries. I wasn't prioritizing my health. I was saying yes to everything. Um, I had no systems in place. So I want to prohibit that from happening to another school social worker. So they need to make sure they have this planner because it will help them. Yes, yes. I've thought about that too, is adding a self-care thing to the planners. Because just like, you know, you hear about it, you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But you really do have to think about it on a daily basis and make it a priority on a daily basis. You do. Um, Because, you know, social workers were so, we're in the habit and the routine of giving and giving and giving until we're like, oh, shoot, why do I feel so depleted and burnt out? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Um, Where can people find and by the School Social Work Solutions Planner, and where can they connect with you? So they can buy the School Social Work Solutions Planner on www.schoolswsolutions.com. 
and you can find me on Instagram at School Social Work Solutions. Love it. And the links will be in the bio. So definitely check that out. Send this to all the school social workers you know because they need to know about this. So thank you so much, Jocelyn. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you loved it, please open up your iTunes, tap the five stars, and leave a short note on why you love listening to the Social Workers Rise podcast. Also, if you want to share it on social media, I absolutely love it. You have me fangirling all over you. Take a screenshot and share it and tag me at Social Workers Rise on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, just want to leave a little bit of legal disclosure here that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in the Social Workers Rise podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done so at your own risk. This podcast should not be used in place of professional advice, therapy, or clinical supervision. And with that, my friends, I'll talk to you next week.